Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to an episode of Buckeye Talk following Ohio State's 54-7 win over Indiana. And no, this is not Doug you're hearing first. No, this is not Nathan you're hearing first. It's Stephen Means, the genius of the trio that you're hearing first. I incorrectly predicted that they would score 45 points in the first half of the win over Indiana. And that's simply because they ran out of time. They ended at 44 points thanks to a safety by Marvin Harrison because of a drop snap by the punter. But this is my time to talk. I just get to talk for as long as I want to talk without hearing them. So I'm just going to tell you how it happened instead of just, I'll be humble about it and tell you how it happened. Ohio State took the opportunity to relive the 2019 days a little bit against a team whose offense is just non-existent. One thing we saw in 2019 time after time after time is this defense putting this offense in situations where they had short fields and then the offense took advantage of it and often put up a lot of points because of it. They did that today because the defensive line got sacks. They didn't cause any turnovers today, but they put, they forced Jack Tuttle to put the ball on the ground a couple of times on some strip sacks and consistently put Indiana's offense in situations where they were punting into a short field. And then C.J. Stroud and his explosive offense that leads the nation in total offense and points per game took advantage every time after time after time. And then obviously, as we talked about before, Ryan Day doesn't do more than what he has to do to win a game, which is why they only end up with 54 points, 10 points in the second half. But what this boils down to is this is what it looks like when this team is working on all cylinders. This defense is complementing the offense and putting it in situations where the playbook is wide open for Ryan Day. And he talked about that after the game because I asked about him. This was the best the defense has played given the competition. It played at a high level, but more importantly, we're seeing this the confidence in CJ Stroud grow week in and week out and week in and week out. So a combination of sucky offense, a defense who took advantage of it, and the best offense in the country put together an offensive performance that we should be expecting from Ohio State going forward, where they should be 35 to 40 points every single week, obviously, as this competition gets a little bit tougher. But that's why I was right, and they were wrong. I'm going to allow them to join the conversation conversation now, but they have to start off by saying, Stephen, you were right, and I was wrong. 
Doug and Nathan, take it away. We do not have to say anything resembling that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We That's don't. how you have to start. You That's exactly you didn't, how you have to start. You didn't. If you had said earlier this week that, well, you know how uh, Indiana is going to be playing a Make-A-Wish kid. Uh, halfway through the first half, um, then and that's why they're going to get forty-five points. I would give you credit for that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't. I all due respect to fourth-string walk-on. I can't remember his name now. All due respect to the Makeaway kids, Make-A-Wish kids first, though, because I think they would have done a better job tonight. No, I'm not going that far. I'm just. I it's, this is this is it's it's seven to seven after the first two drives of this game, and Indiana did a hot knife through butter through the Indiana uh, Ohio State defense on the first drive of this game. And then Jack Tuttle gets pulverized in the middle of this Antoine Jackson, Haskell Garrett sandwich. And from that point on, there was no chance for Indiana to even remotely compete in this game. So let's, I want to keep that in mind, but I do think it means something that in a, in Ohio state team that earlier this year was kind of futzing around and not able to put away teams like this and put a boot on a throat when it needed to is now doing that liberally is now kind of bending teams to its will and kind of uh, showing off a little bit and having fun with it a little bit. And uh, there's nothing they can do about the fact that right now they have lapsed back into the good old big 10 that has no intriguing quarterback play has no sustainable offense from most of the teams in its, in, in the conference there's nothing Ohio State can really do about that. Nothing they can do about the fact that none of these defenses can, are going to possibly keep up with this offense. So we do have to like, we, as opposed to earlier this year, where it looked like maybe we weren't going to have to hold this team to the unreasonable standard that we usually do, um, that we're back to that. Like they have to keep just trouncing. Uh, Penn State, we thought it was going to be Penn State next week. They can't be Illinois at home today. They can't get in the end zone against Illinois. Um, a team that, that enough said like uh, uh, impressive performance. Um, and I, I still want to see what happens when they play a good team, but I don't know if that's going to happen again until December. I ate an entire ice cream sandwich during the beginning of that podcast. Um, I'll say it. I'll say that Steven's a genius. Uh, but as Nathan pointed out, while Steven was on the verge of winning the bet in the first half, Nathan didn't go quite as hard with the, Steven, you're crazy for predicting 45 points. I went hard with that. Uh, I wanted Steven's dad to be on this podcast right now, but apparently, you know, he has a life and a job and he doesn't want to be up at 12 o'clock in the morning talking about football. So we will have Steven's father on down the line to celebrate the genius of Steven Means because, yes, the Tuttle injury certainly led to sort of this snowball that Indiana's offense, which was already bad, got even worse. But, and, and it's worth noting that Indiana's top two cornerbacks didn't play. They kind of knew one wasn't going to play, but they thought Taiwan Mullen, who's their best cornerback and probably their second best overall defender. He warmed up. I think they, they really thought he might play. They were hoping he would, and he didn't. And I went to the Indiana post game afterward and Tom Allen was talking about the idea that we know Indiana likes to blitz. They were scared to blitz because they were afraid they were going to get beat on the outside and deep without their top two corners. And the result was they didn't get after CJ Stroud. And, and Tom Allen was like, if you give that guy time, I mean, he picked us apart. We should have come after him. And I think Steven, it's interesting. The idea of at, at some point, it's one of these things like, and I've been, you know, I, here, I don't think this means Indiana is a bad defense, right? It's like, at some point we have to give Ohio state for doing 
things offensively against a pretty good defense. This, is, this was like, I think, a top 20, top 20. I legitimately think Indiana's a top 25 defense. Certainly it hurts not having their corners. But I think, Stephen, this is like what Ohio State's going to do to a lot of people. And I don't know that Penn State or Iowa or Michigan or Michigan State has anything. Their defenses are ranked a little higher than Indiana's. I don't know that they have anything significantly different than what Indiana offered. The one thing might be a pass rusher, right? Aiden Hutchinson is a real dude. Michigan State has a guy. Penn State has a guy. Indiana, without blitzing, wasn't going to get after C.J. Stroud. But I think you have to give Ohio State credit for doing this to actually what is a – they know how to play defense here. Tom Allen knows how to coach defense, and they still couldn't do anything. And Tom Allen, he was really sad after the game. But, you know, it's basically like it was a lot of, well, you know, that's what that offense is going to do to people. So I I definitely don't want to be – I don't want to take this for granted for the Ohio State offense and chalk it up to bad defense when Indiana, with basically this same defense, shut down Michigan State a week ago and had no chance, Stephen, against Ohio State. The comments you just said that Tom Allen made mixed with what we saw today. I, I, I think we all just thought because of the way Indiana's defense runs, they might fight back a little. And they, they won't stop Ohio State from doing what it wants to do, but instead of scoring 54 points, they score 38 points because they got to CJ a couple of times, maybe those a couple of picks, while those other guys, whether it's Penn State, whether it's Michigan, whether it's Purdue, they're just going to rely on their top dog to maybe be the better player that game, which, I mean, that's a 50-50 chance of that happening. And Indiana didn't really fight back today. They, As you said, because they were missing their corners, they didn't blitz as much as maybe they should have and just kind of allowed C.J. Stroud to just have his way with their defense, which he's probably regretting that. I understand Taiwan Lillen, Lillen didn't play, but you were already, you know, shorthanded when it comes to the talent. I do a talent gap, a talent comparison every single week, and Indiana's got a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team while Ohio State's got the you know, third most talented team in the country. So you were already losing on that front and so the fact that you didn't make cj strauss think at all when you're already shorthanded like that this is what's going to happen this offense is going to do that to you yes they're going to do that to everybody every single week but when you don't have the players that can at least make an impact here or there you've got to maybe make come up with some makeshift stuff to make up for that and indiana didn't do that and as a result ohio state's offense had 54 points yeah i mean there's no team that i don't care how good your defense is no no it's going to have to be both sides of the coin that beats Ohio State again. You've got your offense has to give you something. Your offense has to keep Ohio State off the field before you can just ask your defense to stop them every time or stop them even half the time at this stage. So that's kind of the thing I'm waiting for. And I I, I thought maybe Penn State with Clifford back would be the team that had the offense and the defense in tandem that could at least push Ohio push Ohio State deep into the game. Um, but I'm thinking it, more and more it looks like maybe best-case scenario could be what we saw last year in State College, which was a game that on the scoreboard was relatively close, but Ohio State controlled it from the beginning to end. Looking ahead, we'll have all week to do Penn State stuff, but Sean Clifford, I guess, didn't quite look like himself trying to come back from that injury. Maybe they would have been better off trying to play their backup quarterback and get through and then give Clifford another week of rest. If Sean Clifford can't run, can't, make some throws to Jahan Dotson. I mean, you know, Penn State's just not going to get get it done next week. But um, Penn State's secondary, I think, is is really good. And if it's healthy, right, again, we saw the injuries in the Indiana secondary. And there's uh, Arnold Ebekidi is a guy who I think can get after the passer for Penn State. We're going to see Jacob. I, this guy's a good player. has been a good player for a while. But I think he opted out last year. I, I should be able to say his name. Jacob Panasiak. 
from Michigan State, right? Mm-hmm. Am I saying that mm-hmm. right? He's good. And then, of yep. course, Aiden Hutchinson and George Karloftis. Aiden Hutchinson for Michigan and George Karloftis for Purdue. They are going to face better pass rushers than they faced against Indiana. But I think the, the, the bottom line is I do think Indiana showed, like, you have to get pressure on C.J. Stroud and live with the consequences if you have to take risks to do it. You have to live with the consequences. Hope maybe that the deep shot they then take misses by six inches because I don't think you can sit back and think we'll try to cover because these receivers are too good and will eventually get open. And CJ at this point, he sees it and he takes it. And if you let him settle in, I thought that's what this, another example of that, just we saw it again. It's like he's, he is seeing everything and he has absolute confidence in himself to make those throws when he sees them. I did not go. I wasn't there when CJ Stroud spoke in the post game, but what was his level of confidence sort of speaking about this game? Cause it just seemed like he handled everything that, that came his way. I mean, the, the poise from him has been, I think pretty consistent since he took the week off since he took the Akron game off. I mean, there's the, the way that he carries himself has been different. He even made an illusion tonight to earlier this year what do he say like i was down in the dumps mm-hmm. um and he's made other he's made similar references this year to that i think he was really feeling it earlier this year that when you're i mean you get anointed the starting quarterback and in two games in you lose and you're it's a team that's not supposed to lose a team that doesn't lose a team that hadn't lost in a regular season game for a couple of years so i think you you probably do internalize some of that and feel the responsibility for it. And that, as we said at the time, that that week off didn't just help him physically. I think it helped him mentally. And, you know, Ryan Day tonight was was being asked, uh, this is making a kind of a comparison to, to some of the defensive things. Just really, he was asked, I guess, just the mood of the whole team. And that he said it feels like two different teams. Like the way they were earlier this season, you could see it in the way they played on the field, like unsure of themselves, kind of doubting themselves confused at times um, you didn't have an, an assertive style of play definitely on defense and probably even sometimes on offense and now what you're seeing is uh, just the, the confidence being kind of um, drubbed out on the opponent each week. They have said this a lot over the last couple of weeks when talking about quarterbacks and not riding that roller coaster and it seems like CJ was riding it a little bit the first couple of weeks because if you remember after the Tulsa game, his entire press conference, it got to a point where he's going on a, a whole tangent about I'm a great player and I'm a, I know I'm a great player no matter what anybody th- thinks about me. And, Doug, you were one of the people who were just like, I don't like that he's talking like that because that means he's reading that stuff and he's feeding into that type of stuff. And the weeks before that, it was, yeah, I was a little antsy coming off of that Minnesota game in the first half and I had to get into that second – that when I got into halftime, it's people telling me to calm down, you're our guy, you're our guy. That doesn't seem to be the demeanor he's letting off now. He seems like he's settled into this role from a confidence standpoint, and now it's starting to show itself up on the field. And some of that is, you know, you're playing better, so you're feeling better about yourself, but he's healthy, he's playing good, he's making all the right decisions, and you're seeing that in how he kind of handles the media now. It's not so much, yeah, I was kind of lost out there for a moment, but, man, I promise you guys I'm a great player. You're just not seeing the best version of me. Now he's – answering some questions with a lot more confidence, even though he is, you know, saying stuff like the supernatural healing stuff still, which is just part of what his character is at this point. All right, quick break. We'll be back after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. We are in this like loge level. You might hear vacuuming behind us. Um, 
we are reaching the point with media where where like new press boxes may actually need to include podcast suites because you wander around trying to find someone to do a podcast and somebody else is already in there doing a podcast. So uh, we are like in this, the, the deck below the press box where the rich people sit and they might, they said they were going to vacuum. So we're doing the best we can. Um, we get, the Minnesota thing, we all sat around the same mic. The table was squeaky. People said they heard the squeaks. So we're doing it on zoom. We're sitting in the same area, just in three different spots. So we hope this sounds okay, but I think you have to bear with us because we did in the end, Stephen, the only exciting thing, and I hope the texters are part of this. I hope everybody listened to the pregame uh, pod on Friday. The only exciting thing about this game was whether they would get to 45 points in the first half. The texters were going crazy. The people on Twitter were going crazy. And I got some messages on text that was like, what are you talking about? It's like, what are we talking about? We're talking about the, the great – it was in our outrageous predictions. It was a YouTube video. It was on the pod. So, again, like we hope you're, you're part of the Buckeye Talk family because sometimes we say stuff that helps make a boring game. A little more interesting. So join us on the text at 614-350-3315. I think a lot of what we're talking about, everybody can kind of see. I don't think there's a lot worth talking about in terms of how well the defense played, because as we said, Indiana wound up playing a walk-on and a freshman who doesn't really, isn't a great thrower yet. And they only had, they had four scholarship quarterbacks to start the season. Once Tuttle got hurt, they only had one. So it's, it's rough for them. But I think we're continuing to see some different stuff, Stephen. And we were talking about this on the press box. Stephen, Craig Young, we've all been enamored with him, but it does feel like his role is getting a little more defined. And it felt like he was a guy who was really designed tonight to try to stop anything with the Indiana quarterback run game. Yeah, I think the one thing I do like from this defense the last couple of weeks is where you're seeing things that right now are kind of irrelevant, but they're going to work once you play teams where that's going to be a consistent, they had opportunities in this game and last week and the last time they played where they have three down linemen and they'll have Craig young up or as basically a standing edge rusher. And it looks like he's going to rush along with the rushman, except he backs off. And now his job is just just spy whoever the quarterback is. And typically today it was Donovan McCulley whenever he was in the game, because he's more of a wrinkle guy and they use him more for his legs and for his arm. And his job is, now the defensive ends don't have to worry about containing the edge. Their job is to peel their ears back and go get the quarterback. It's Craig Young's job to make sure that that quarterback stays in check and doesn't get outside the pocket and make plays. And it happened time after time tonight, and it led to some sacks. And it got me thinking, okay, Sean Clifford likes to run. How much are we going to see this in the Penn State game? Bryce Young, he's not a runner, but he likes to get out of the pocket and buy time and make and make throws downfield. How much does it impact if you get Alabama in a playoff game and on down the line? As you play these teams who have maybe more mobile quarterbacks, we saw it with Anthony Brown where he made some plays every so often. We saw it with Akron's quarterback at times. If, you're, if your answer to that is putting a guy like Craig Young on the field who has the size to maybe be a linebacker, but is also he's in the defensive back room working with the safeties, so he has that skill set, and his job is – you are to keep the quarterback in check so our defensive line can just go out there and get sacks. That's something that works four or five weeks from now and when Ohio State really needs a stop. Really good spy. Like, really good, like, package of skills that you would want in a spy. Nathan, another thing we've been talking about with the defense is the role of Steel Chambers and how it may expand. That 
that third down look they showed a couple times, as Steven said, three down linemen, Craig Young up. Those are kind of your front four. And then behind that, they were playing six DBs and Steel Chambers as the only linebacker. We know Steel Chambers has kind of been that coverage backer in certain situations, but we also saw him on Saturday night a little more. He was in there instead of Taraja Mitchell at times in the first half as another linebacker on first and second down. Did you feel like we saw some examples of this expanded Steel Chambers role that Ryan Day kind of talked about on Tuesday? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, he keeps impressing every time he plays. I mean, he, again, I mean, all caveats to the competition level, but he keeps coming through. I mean, he looks very comfortable out there. He looks confident too. And even for on a defense and a team that should be growing in confidence, you would think that this guy who was still at least like half a running back until the start of preseason camp um, is, is now just seems like fully invested, not just in terms of, um, the, the want to, but like just in the confidence he has out on the field to play the position. You know, I think it has been fair to say uh, all along that even as, as he started to come along, I think it was fair to say he's better than we thought he was going to be. And it might still be a bad thing for Ohio State if Steel Chambers is it's one of his best linebackers. If you understand what I'm saying, nice and back. and I think it's I, I'm starting to back away from that a little bit, but it's one of the reasons why I think it's it's worthwhile to like keep waiting until to fully buy in on what level this team could be at until they get on the field against a, a really dynamic offense, or even like a I mean at this point like a moderately dynamic offense. Yeah, no, I think I, I'm taking a decent amount away from the offensive performance of Ohio State Saturday night. I am not taking a ton away from the defensive performance just because Indiana was so bad, even before Tuttle got hurt. I mean, Michael Penix, as you all remember, is supposed to be their starting quarterback here. I think there might have been a smidge of hope that maybe, but like he he was he couldn't go, and then to have. Um, Tuttle go down as well. It just it, Tuttle after the game, Tom Allen was saying like his x-rays were negative, but they got to check his MRI. Like he might be like actually have an injury and they had to put him back in the game because they were playing a freshman who's basically only a, a wrinkle runner and a walk on otherwise. And they just like, they couldn't, they couldn't get anything going offensively. And so you put, I mean, you know, I don't think they risked his health, but it's like, listen, man, they just had no options at quarterback and that ruined everything for them. Um, can we have a 2022 court Williams conversation at 1230? In an empty stadium, uh, oh, like, is, well, that a, well, is that a fair? To, can we have that now, or I, I, or was it too early? Well, no. I, I, can we have a real quick one on twenty twenty one Court Williams? So I yeah. missed Court. Court Williams came in post game, and I was still finishing the Indiana stuff. So I was going to come in and like as the thirteenth question, be like, "Hey, Court, are you going to be a linebacker now?" But I didn't know what had been asked and what had not been asked, and that has not stopped me in the past. But I decided to be have a little be couth and like let it go. Um, but you guys were there. The reason we were talking about Court Williams is because he came up and made a play, like attacked a ball behind the line of scrimmage and made a tackle that was like, yeah, that looks like what you want a linebacker to do. But he's playing bullet right now. He's subbing in for Ronnie Hickman. So I thought maybe we were just talking about, are you going to be a linebacker in 2022? But Nathan, are you saying there's interesting stuff to talk about in terms of what his role may expand here to here in 2021? Well, it's just he's one of those guys that like, yes, we've heard a lot of interesting things behind the scenes about him, but let's be honest. Like a lot of what we've heard from behind the scenes is like, well, he works really hard and he's a really compelling guy and he's going to be a great leader and a lot of things, but we, I don't know that we were always necessarily hearing a lot of things about how well he played. And I thought we started to see some flashes tonight of what he could be out on the field. So again, for a defense 
that still is looking for to, to really solidify on the back end, like really the, still the back seven. I think anytime you find a guy who is proving he can do it on the field, I wouldn't overlook that helping this defense this year. I think the, the conversation you want to have about his future is a compelling one too, because I've all along thought that he makes more sense as a linebacker he, uh, when we thought the bullet was still a very hybrid linebacker safety position, which it seems like Ohio State has made it more a defensive back position first. But when it, when it seemed like a hybrid, he always, to me, leaned more on the linebacker side because of his size. And the idea of like making him a, a, a deep safety, I don't know that that ever made a ton of sense to me. So having him in a, in a role where he is lining up closer to the ball in the future, I think is interesting to me. So, but I also think that, you know, we've seen this kind of emerge over the course of the year, you know, like Lathan Ransom starting as a cover safety and then them needing some help in the back and some other people proving themselves. So then he moves back and you've seen like Ronnie Hickman starting off the year as the bullet, but then also playing deep a lot more as the season has progressed. So I, I think the more that court Williams proves he can do on the field, the more it can help Ohio state potentially situationally in certain matchups down the line this year. The issue for the, well, the issue for this year is he's in the, the, the bullets are in the safety room yep. and he's backing up like the best player on the defense and Ronnie Hickman. So it feels like the, the only way for him to make an impact this year is like what in a double bullet scenario. And I'm not exactly sure what that is. And I don't think you can start putting him in the linebacker room this year. And I don't think he can like do linebacker things if he's not in the linebacker room. So I don't know, Steven, do you think there is room for him to see the field when it matters more often this season? It's an unrealistic thing to ask, but if this game would have been before the bye, I would have voted put him in the linebacker room in the bye week and just stick 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 him there because we're talking about sizes. Him and Steel Chambers, there's five pounds. They're a five yeah. pound difference. So I, I mean, the way we're talking about Steel Chambers, can he take snaps away from Taraja Mitchell? What from what we just saw from Court Williams today? If he spends the next six weeks in the linebacker room, what makes us think he can't do the same thing? I just don't think they're going to do it. No, of course not. You can't do it at this point. That's that's a, that's why I said it's an unrealistic yeah. thing to ask. Had there been a bye week for him to do it, maybe you think about it and even have a conversation, but not at this point. So it is more of a future conversation where just like Craig Young started off in the linebacker room and is now in the safety room, I'm not against Court Williams starting off in the safety room and ended up in the linebacker room if Steel Chambers, what he's doing with that body type, is a solid linebacker and court Williams is a more talented football player than what still chambers is. But, but also, as you mentioned before, Craig young is not really playing bullet right now. Right. So right. if, if all, if the only thing that happens over these last six weeks is that court Williams develops into truly being the backup bullet, which he wasn't to start the year, then I think that in itself is, is a potentially important thing. You just never know when something's going to crop up. No, it's like it's a nice problem to have too many good players. But I do think for next year, I think it's yeah. very possible that Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams would be two of their best 11 players and like two of their best back seven and that you might want to find a way to be able to play them both. And I think the way to do that is tell Court Williams, put on eight to 10 pounds and get ready to play linebacker next year, which I mean, is, we're basically basing this off one hit. But like you can just see the way he plays. It just feels like. Like, I want that guy in the box, right? I want that guy up near making tackles on running backs, attacking screen passes and swing passes and, and doing that kind of stuff. And the bullet, when the bullet was in the box a lot more, then that What's still made sense. But now, but the, the bullet, 
against any team that throws, the bullet is just a second deep safety most of the time now. And that bullet can sneak. Ronnie Hickman can sneak up when teams have 12 personnel and are playing extra tight ends. But in their base defense, in their base defense right now, the way they're doing it, the bullet is deep. Ronnie Hickman is deep. Yeah. And, and I don't that's not what I think is the best thing for Court Williams or this defense next year. It's what I think is interesting because this all along, I think what they envisioned the bullet to be was with that single high safety look. So Court Williams as that kind of bullet right. made sense because it is kind of a glorified linebacker. It really is the hybrid. But now when it's sort of just a, another thing to call a strong safety or a deep safety, yeah, right. I, I don't know. I think it's going to take some – and, and going into next year, do they re-examine their personnel and try to go back to the single high? Do you think they're stuck on keeping two safeties as the base package going forward? I don't know. I think, I think the single high part, is passed them by. I, I think, think it's passed them, but I do think when you get a full offseason and now – I think I would vote that their personnel will be better next year based off what we've seen from some of these young guys – and who might come back like Josh Proctor, that their right. personnel might be better and they're going to have a full off season to be more creative with what they look. I don't think they're going to just always line up in single high, but now you have that option along with this two safety option. You can be a little bit more multiple when they were just trying to be stagnant at the beginning of the season. I think two, I think two safeties deep is their new base look most of the time and that they're patching it together this year and they'll figure it out for next year. But, I think they're going to be in a world where they're playing two linebackers, they're playing two deep safeties, and they're playing three corners, and that's their defense. And then they've got to figure out the best way to use the guys they have. And I just think it's possible that, like, Court Williams could be one of their two best linebackers next year. I don't know. Or at least in a mix where you're rotating guys through. So, um, okay, we'll take one more quick break. Listen, we're not going to go all night. We're literally, like, in a closed-down stadium, and it's almost 1 o'clock in the morning. So we have one more thing I want to talk about because I want to talk about Georgia – Next on Buckeye Talk. So listen, we have a long season to cover, right? Ohio State is now six and one. That means there are five more regular season games in the Big Ten Championship ahead. And I like, I shot my best shot already. I like shot my half court shot seven games into the season because I couldn't avoid for my postgame column, like writing what it feels like is staring us in the face, which is Georgia has the best defense. Ohio state has the best offense. Most of the rest of college football is a mess to varying degrees. Ohio state was one of the, one of the parts of that mess early, but they've gotten it together. Georgia has been good all year. And here we are. And Georgia's the best team. And then like, who can, who can give Georgia the best game? And I, just can't imagine that there are many people on college football who would think anything other than this Ohio state offense. Like I want to see Ohio state, Georgia, cause it's the best offense against the best defense. Alabama's offense isn't as good. Oklahoma's offense isn't as good. Cincinnati is really good. Desmond Ritter's really good, but they're not as dynamic as Ohio state. I don't know, Steven, did I get out over my skis here or seven games in, is this just the March that we may be on the verge of starting and that, Everybody else sees the same thing, too. It's the best thing for college football this year. I agree with you. That's where we're headed at this point. Because it's not so much that Georgia is the best defense and Ohio State's the best offense, which wins out. It's just the fact that they're also the only teams that can stop the other one from doing what it's doing. Because as dominant as Georgia's defense is, they haven't played the most elite offenses in the country, but we all know that defense is elite. 
Ohio State hasn't necessarily played the most elite level defenses yet, and yet we all know this is clearly the best offense in the country. So what happens when they get on the field? What's going to win out? Is it going to be a game that has to be played in the 40s because Ohio State is, you know, running things, or is it a game that's going to be played in the teens because Georgia's stagnated everything and made it that way? And that's an interesting thing to watch, especially in a year that's been this weird, where there's no, I don't think there's a complete team in college football this year. Georgia's very defensive. Austin's very offensive. You've got guys on that side, and you've got guys on the Georgia side. But no, there's no balanced football team this year, so that's probably the best thing to see which extreme wins out and which extreme wins a national title in 2021. Yeah, but, but kind of p- picking up on that, though, I think the other compelling thing about both of these teams is the extremes that they're at with their offense for OSU and the defense for Georgia. And then part of the, I know you hate this word, Doug, but the narrative for both these teams, the season long progression for both these teams is for the other half of each of those teams to start to live up to and not be the reason that you, the season gets capsized for that other side. You know what I mean? Like does, does Georgia get its offense healthy and really start to like take advantage of the, the level of athletes that they clearly have. It's just a matter of like, putting it together and then for Ohio State um, it's it's maybe even a little bit more precarious on defense because they're counting on so many young guys to maybe um, be able to to touch a more what we thought was a more distant ceiling but then as we've seen in the early on like for some of these guys it's it's not that distant so I, I find that really compelling too if Ohio State especially if Ohio State hadn't already lost I think you'd already be talking about the teams that are ranked one and two and the collision course that they're on that would that I think we'd already be having that discussion. And I think you're right, Doug, that it is going to build as long as Ohio State kind of keeps storming through the Big Ten the way they are. I think the only thing holding it back is the fact that Ohio State has a loss, yeah. but they're a different team than the team that lost. So the loss is on their resume, and so the thing that would hold them back is if their resume somehow doesn't get them in the playoff, but I don't think that's a discussion because teams lose, and even if they don't, the committee is going to see the same thing that everybody else sees, which is this is a pretty balanced team comparatively, right? That Alabama is pretty balanced. Actually, Alabama, I think is like a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, but they're not as good on either side as Georgia and Ohio state are. But I just like if Ohio, if Ohio state wins out, there's not a scenario where the committee is going to like, I think get held up by the loss because I think they're going to see what they see and they're going to see the changes. And by the way, We are now one more weekend away from the first playoff committee rankings on Tuesday, November 2nd. So we'll be after Ohio State is coming off that Penn State game. And if they take care of business in a convincing way, even though Penn State just had this Illinois loss, I still think that will give the committee a a lot of leeway to, I I think, possibly rank Ohio State second. I I, I don't I'm not going to like guarantee that, but I will be very curious because we'll get a read on how they're viewing one loss Ohio State versus potentially one loss Oregon that has a win over Ohio state versus undefeated Oklahoma. I think it's possible Ohio state could be ranked ahead of both those teams. And man, are we going to talk a lot about playoff rankings once they start? So we're not there yet. And undefeated Cincinnati and undefeated Cincinnati, but I feel, and that is really important, but the way things have evolved, I think there's room for both, um, both undefeated Cincinnati and one loss big 10 champ Ohio state to make the playoff. I do think it's almost, I was just saying anyway, for this first ranking, though. I mean, no, yes, I it's a team with a win at Notre Dame. Just saying. Yeah, no, right. I mean, like the way if Oklahoma, Oregon, Cincinnati, Ohio State all win next week, the way those four teams are ranked will be really, really valuable for us to get some idea of the committee thinking and what they're leaning on and what teams have to do 
the rest of the way because Ohio State's going to have opportunities for good wins. Cincinnati's opportunities for good wins are in the past. Oklahoma's look like crap. Is anybody in the Big 12 good? Is anybody in the Pac-12 good, right? That are Oregon and Oklahoma, they're not going to have chances at the wins that Ohio State has a chance for. So again, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. I'm, I, I'm going on the record now. I think it's possible that Ohio State will be ranked significantly higher in the college football playoff rankings than they are in the AP or the coaches poll, just given how the committee might view things. Okay. Nathan, do you have anything to add before we wrap this thing up? It's, you know, it's a 54 to seven win. So I think we've covered the basics. Anything we're missing? No, I think that, that you, let's get on the road. You also, I, I said I had an ice cream sandwich. You also ate an ice cream sandwich and you didn't cop to it. I did. No, I, I wolfed that, that bad boy Wait. down. Uh, I will say I can't tell if you guys are just adding banter. Did you guys actually have ice cream sandwiches? No, no. I mean, I literally, I mean, don't tell Indiana that I took it because I think it was in the rich person's sweet ice cream I, freezer. I want but, an ice cream sandwich. That's why. Well, here's yeah. the thing: the the Upland was locked. Uh, I couldn't get to the Upland, so I settled for a ice cream sandwich. And it's okay I've had because today, so I'm I didn't, hungry. I mean, people, people on Twitter were saying, like, give Stephen all the grapes because of his, uh, <laughs> his genius pick. We're going to reward you with grapes. We're not going to feed you grapes like yeah, you're the king that. of the, the, a pharaoh of Egypt or something. But, I, Nathan, I will say very quickly before we get out of here at 1 o'clock in the morning, it was the chocolate ice cream in the chocolate ice cream sandwich. Not a fan. I much prefer the typical normal vanilla ice cream because then you get the contrast. I thought it was too chocolatey. You know, I actually enjoyed it. it it's like the – the, the, the cakes and then like a very kind of a very soft chocolate ice cream. It's kind of almost like a marshmallowy texture in some ways. And then the drizzles. Yeah. There so were you had the, like the fuzzles drizzle. So it was, it was like three different kinds of chocolate. It was okay. I was really hungry because the spinach wrap didn't get it done for me in the press box. No offense. I mean, I'm not complaining about food. I'm just talking about an ice cream sandwich. All right. I'm going to shut off my mic. Nathan, shut off your mic. Steven means we began with you. We shall end with you. This is the Stephen Means. It's a genius podcast. Wrap this baby up however you want to. But if you don't finish it by saying, and that was Buckeye talk, then I'm going to have to come in after well, the yeah, words and editing and say that part because we have to end every podcast with that. Other than that, do what you will. You've earned it. Yeah, man. I was right. It always feels good to be right. It always feels good to get a win. You know, as in my coach speak, sometimes you just got to take it day by day and be happy with the result, move on to a new day. You know, I'm just going to be humble and act like I've been here before and act like, you know, I'm always right because, you know, in, in my mind, I am always right. I'm late. It's late. I'm tired and I have to drive back to a hotel that's like 90 minutes from where we are right now. So I'll keep it at that and continue to be humble. Because, you know, I was right tonight, and there will be more times in the future where I'm Continue right. Continue to be what? Because, you know, just like Ohio State's offense, and as C.J. Stroud said about the offense, I'm only taking off from here, guys. I'm only taking off. I get confident and confident every time I make an outrageous prediction. So stick with us all season and throughout the rest of my career here because, I'm listen, my, my percentage of being right is only going to skyrocket mm. just as C.J. Stroud's Heisman Trophy odds go up every, every week. So, you know, for Nathan, for Doug – I'm Steven, and that was Buckeye Talk.